let's get down to seriousness. Christ's freedom. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. 1 Corinthians. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. My Father, my Lord, my Savior, I ask now that that you teach, Father, the wonder of wonders, the freedoms that we have in Christ. Father, uh, with all the gratitude of my being, I thank you for what you have shown me here. Father, the joy uh, that you have given me through this text. And yet, Father, I pray this day that your people rejoice. Father, we understand more and more about what it is to be a child of God. What it is to be an heir. Father, what it is to be free in Christ. And Father, what it is to be under a new master, a new friend. May our hearts be open. May your spirit work mightily. And may your word do an amazing work this day to this body of people. And may it solely and wholly be to your praise and to your glory. In Christ's name, amen. If you look at your outlines really quick, you'll see that there are six points on that outline. This is the fifth message on this verse. Uh, And the reason is, um, I believe that this verse, in my study of the book of Corinthians... This verse is the key to the whole book. Uh, If you understand what the church in Corinth was dealing with and struggling with, um, it can be summed up basically personal holiness. All right, see, if the individual in Christ strives for personal holiness, then the body is holy. And that is how we make our greatest impact on the world today. Holiness is set apart from the world. Holiness is not buying its system. Holiness is not being entangled in what the world says success is or um, what the world will tell you uh, will make you happy. Because Jesus has taught us that blessed is the poor in spirit. And that does not fit well with what the world teaches or propagates. We have a world system that has inundated the church. It's inundated the church. The church has literally um, bought what the world is selling. And, and it's, a, it's a tragedy. Um, and yet, um, for such a time as this, you and I are here. This book deals with our personal holiness. We've already come out of litigation We've come out of sexual immorality in chapter 5. We've come out of uh, being focused on personalities and and people. Uh, and, And that's what we've dealt with so far. We've dealt with the foolishness of our wisdom, our understanding in light of what God does. And then here in verse 12, he says, all things are lawful for me. All things are profitable. Not all. All things are profitable. Okay, and yet I will not be mastered. And I see so many in the body of Christ who put themselves back under servanthood 
of something that would master them. I'm going to just review the first four points, and we're going to conclude this text today, believe it or not. Freedom of Christ, we looked at in John 8, 34, where Jesus tells us that I have come to set you free. And, and when I think about all of us that are here today and we talk about our freedom and I have this freedom and I can do this and I can do that. And I look at so many people who in the name of freedom are putting themselves into slavery, into bondage. Romans chapter 6 verse 16 and 17 says, you have been bought out of the slavehood of sin. And you have been placed into the kingdom of righteousness. You are now a slave to righteousness. You are now a child of the king. See, it's amazing to me, uh, those of you who are doing that precept study, if you're not done with your homework, repent. Okay? Uh, Shame on you. Um, But the doctrine of sin was dealt with is what we did in a week. And, And I don't believe that the average Christian understands sin. And yet, and the reason that I can say that is we are so easily willing to just get back under it. Go ahead, let it run. Why? Well, because I think I like it. It makes me feel good. You know, I read this text, uh, the book of Corinthians, and when the Apostle Paul, I was thinking about you, Matt, when the Apostle Paul says, I would have you stay as I am, single. And yet, what does the world teach you? That you need to have a spouse. You need to have this helpmate. Why didn't Paul need one? Why are the things that we are bombarded with on a daily basis that we believe? In? Now, now, and I want you to understand something. Having a spouse is not a sin. But I guarantee you if you have a spouse, you have a d- divided allegiance. It's impossible not to. God has given you a woman. God has graced me with a wonderful woman. And and that woman, part of my responsibility is to protect her, to care for her, to lift her up as a chaste and pure virgin. I need to treat her as Christ treated the church. I need to be willing to die to everything of myself and to my wife. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But did you hear what I had to do? I died to her. All right. And there's times, and my wife will attest to this, uh, that... um, she tries to get ahead of Christ in my life. And we have conflict. And that's difficult. And yet then you carry the heartache of the husband of, I'm not presenting her holy and pure before you, my king. I have done something wrong. But the world tells you you have to have this. Why? Well, you'll be whole. Really? What is Christ? What is Christ? And I, I, don't get me wrong, sweetie, I love you. But I love Christ more. That is the freedom that I have. My wife understands that freedom. She's seen it at work. We both stumble at times. And I would say that anybody in here would. But yet he says, I have set you free from sin. Your flesh, a child of God, your flesh no longer has mastery over you. Have you guys ever wondered, when you think about Adam, right? Is it, I don't, maybe I'm just the evil-minded dude around here, but when you think about him eating of the fruit, 
Okay? I mean, it's obvious he was doing something wrong because his wife couldn't quote scripture. Okay? And I mean, it's only a verse. Okay? And she got it wrong. So, who's the spiritual leader of the home? Adam. What are you doing, bonehead? Did anybody think that? I thought that. I thought, yeah, what a moron. Well, am I wrong? Well, maybe you guys don't. I, I, you know, I always thought, you know, if he's in heaven, I'm going to walk by him and give him one right in the beak just because. All right? Love, brother. Okay? But, but he, he didn't protect his wife. And yet, if you look at it, we, uh, women get a bad rap. They say, you know, well, the woman was deceived and she started. No, 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 no. Man just willfully sinned. Okay? You know what that means? He knew not to do that. And have you ever thought about that? What if he hadn't? You know, if he hadn't, I would have. Or someone before me would have. Why? We think it's good. It looks good. I think it would taste good. And what is the problem with no, having the knowledge of good and evil? What is the big deal? We all fall into that. How many times do you get tempted by things that says it looks good? I think it would be a benefit. And what happens? You get caught. And God says, I freed you from that. Why would I willfully want to get back under that? And yet, you know what? I watched Christian after Christian after Christian after Christian willfully walk back into it with a big old grin on their face. It's going to be great. No, it's not. And that's what we were looking at. We looked at freedom and sonship. Freedom and sonship. John chapter 15, verse 15. And I'm just, this is just reviewing. That Jesus said, you know what? I no longer, you are no longer, I am no longer your master. You are no longer my slaves. Why? Because a master doesn't know what his, or a slave doesn't know what his master is thinking. He says, but you are now friends if you keep my commandments. Why? Because now you know what I want. You know what your master wants. You know, I watch some Christians struggle because um, the only time they'll crack open the scriptures when they come here Sunday morning. And they don't open the book all week long and they get beaten and battered and bruised all week long. Why? They don't know what their master wants. They don't know what what is your Savior wanting from you? You know, we come together on Sunday morning, we say it's a time of worship. Truth of the matter is, you are a living sacrifice. That is your act of worship. When does that happen? Every breath you take. And yeah, I understand all the little analogies. A living sacrifice wants to get off the altar and all that other goofy stuff. I understand all that. Okay, but I have been bought and paid for. I am now a son. I am now part of the body of Christ. I am now a representative of the kingdom of God. And I am now a friend of the Lord Jesus Christ if I will be sensitive to what he says. Listen, uh, you know, I kind of look at it. I had a friend of mine one time tell me that uh, the Bible is 66 love letters from God. And... uh, I was trying to remember if I'd ever gotten love letters from a woman. And a, um, did I? 
I did? Yeah. Did I save him? I did? Do you know where I saved him at? Cool. That was close, wasn't it? What a merciful God we say. Anyway, I have 66. Let's get back to something really important here uh, as I dig myself a ditch. 66 love letters from God. Ask yourself a question, men. If you get a love letter from your wife or your girlfriend or fiance or wherever you're at like this, would you read it? We all say, yeah. If you got 66 love letters from God, would you read it? Well, I don't know. It's got a little gold here on the edges of it. And I think he worked hard at getting that on there, and I don't want it to rub off. Right? What is it? In those 66 letters that he has given to his people, he says, here I am. Here who I am. Here's what I want. Here's what we're doing. Do you want to be a part of it? And I just, that jacks me up. Yeah. Let's get after it. I'm ready. And I, I read that, and it's just amazing to me. I mean, he just keeps exposing himself to me. Read this. Read this. Know how I'm thinking. Did you know that you can know how God is thinking? You've got to go bow before this book, but you can. There's times when I, um, I had a little incident this week that my wife was praying for me, and a number of you who uh, were involved were praying for me, and my wife gets up and uh, in the morning, and I didn't want to go. It's one of those valleys of the shadow things, and I didn't want to go. It wasn't a death situation, but it was just something that I just, yeah, it was heartache. And my wife gets up with her little, my wife is a morning person, and that's a sin. Uh, but uh, uh, she gets up, and she says, you know, the Lord goes before you. And she'd been over the scriptures, and I could tell that she'd been praying for me. And I said, then why do I got to go? Right? Why do I have to go if he's already there? Well, because I'm his friend. And he says, I need you to do this for me. Okay? And I went. Got Krispy Kremes out of it. Anyway, in this freedom that we have in Christ, in this freedom from sin, and, and, and now I am, I, I am a son I can hang out with, to use today's vernacular, Jesus. I have a freedom to choose, to make decisions. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 says that in the house there are noble vessels and ignoble vessels. Same house, some vessels of honor, some vessels of dishonor. And then he goes through a, a nasty stuff there. But you choose, you make decisions, your life. It's just making decisions all day long. I mean, you get up in the morning, ladies, and, and you want to do your hair in different ways and things. I don't know how that all works. but Or what makeup and lipstick or whatever you're going to do. And, and you make decisions as you do that. Guys get up and... I don't know what we do either. Uh, we get up and I don't make my hair. I just It just follows me. I get up, drink coffee, and find out if it's good, hot or cold outside. Um, but we're making decisions. That's all you do all day long. You make decisions. You know, I'm going to be here. I need to meet with this person. I need to talk to this person. I need to call this person. Maybe your job is a, is a place as a management, and you've got to make decisions how this. Maybe you're under people. If you're under people, then you're making decisions based on the information that your employer has given you. All day long, you make decisions. 
All right, what radio station am I going to listen to in rush hour traffic? Uh, listen to a CD or I'm going to listen to some music or I'm going to do this. It's all day long. I want to make decisions. Let me tell you something. In my freedom in Christ and that the fact that I am a friend of Jesus Christ, what do I make my decisions based on? I give you the illustration of Lot. When Lot was asked to kind of separate from Abraham so there wouldn't be friction between the, 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 the employees, the slaves, Lot's purpose for moving down toward Sodom was not wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay? How many of you say, I must go here because these people are lost and are in need of the gospel? Right? But the ramifications of of Lot getting comfortable in the system in which he exposed himself to cost him horribly. And how many times, we in America are very uh, spontaneous. We never look down the road. We never look at what will happen further down this road. And I remember talking to a guy one time uh, about Christians borrowing money, uh, credit. And uh, they can't do that. And he gave me all the verses and, and all the rest of it and just took off with all of this stuff. And uh, we continued a, a wonderful dialogue. And when he got done, I asked him a question. I said, uh, you own a home? He said, yeah, I own a home. I said, you pay cash for it? Well, no, nobody can pay cash for a house in today's market. How'd you buy it? <coughs> I borrowed money. But you just told me borrowing money is a sin. Are you confessing your sin? Borrowing money is not a sin. Being mastered by it is a sin. I've seen people who get enslaved to homes. I got to have this, I got to have that. Uh, they buy more house than what they need. They have to buy more house than what they can afford. And they, they end themselves up. There's nothing wrong with borrowing money. Will it master me? How many of us get mastered by things? I see men get mastered by a little thing that has two batteries in it and buttons. They do. They could just sit and do this. Men have the capacity to watch three movies and a sports thing all at the same time. Okay? But what are they doing? Exercising their thumbs. How's come that can do that? It's just a... All right? And you know what? I remember when there was no such thing as a remote control for a television. You literally had to get up, walk across the room, and turn the channel. Now we don't. You know, I, you know, I found myself in my time to bounce it off the mirror. <laughs> TV over here, and bing, did you see that? That's, you know, I mean, so we have a, a, an ability to choose. We make decisions. How do you make your decisions, and what do you make them based on? Okay, then we had self-discipline. We looked at this last week, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. That sober mind... That self-disciplined mind that only comes to the indwelling of the Spirit of the living God. He says in John, 15, or John 17, he says, So I want you to sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify is to cleanse us, to make us holy. And there's only one way that that takes place. Truth. Your word is truth. All right? In that, what happens? I put discipline on my mind. There's things that can come into my brain that I don't like. Has anybody here prayed? 
you're getting ready to go before the Lord on maybe on your own behalf or for a relative or lost or on behalf of the saints or something like that. And, and, you, and you, you, you get there and you've, you've read you some Psalms. However you pray, whatever you do, you've read you some Bible verses and you, you're getting you know, kind of up in the heavenlies. You're trying to get up there. You're about at cloud nine. You're trying to get on cloud 11. And, and so you're kind of moving your way up there. And so you get on your knees and say, Lord, I just praise you for the amazing things you've done, the blessings you've given me, and I need to change the oil in my car, and my tires need rotated, and I'm going to have to wax the car. And Lord, we love you, and I just praise you for everything that you're doing. Right? You just walked into the throne room of he who holds existence into being, and you're worried about changing the oil or waxing your car. Okay, ladies may not... Change it. Well, maybe they do. Uh, we'll talk to your husbands about that. But uh, how's come that happens? What'd you guard your brain with? You, I, I remember the day when it came apparent to me I knew the New Testament. I knew the books of the New Testament. I mean, that was one of the greatest rewards I ever had. I remember the day. It was like, I know every book in the New Testament. Now I'm working on the order, but I know them all. <laughs> and it just was amazing to me. It just, why? Because I'd read them all. I read them all. I remember the first time I read through the Bible. The whole book. Um, some of you may know uh, Paige was a widow. I knew her husband. A wonderful man. Helped me tremendously as an infant in Christ. And uh, I remember sitting when he, in his illness, and he said... Uh, I said, so when you got saved, what did you do first? He said, I read the Bible. It's an interesting concept. Um, I mean, how did you read the Bible? He said, I just started in Genesis and read through Revelations. I said, you just read it? I said, I tried that, man. I got to Leviticus. Okay? And then, I mean, Leviticus. You ever read Leviticus? I'm glad that's divinely inspired. But if you'll look in my Bible, you won't find no markings or anything in Leviticus because I'm just not sure why. Okay, uh, so I tried it again, and I couldn't get past Leviticus, and I jumped into Matthew, and I read Matthew, and then I read Mark, and I said, well, Mark is the same thing that Matthew said. Well, I'll read on, I ain't going to read Mark, because it's the same thing, I just read it, this is like the rerun, so I'll go to Luke, and I went to Luke, and Luke is the rerun, and I'm thinking, what is this dumb book? I'll go to John. <laughs> same thing, what? this is the goofiest thing I've ever read in my life, there's no rhyme, no reason to this book. And yet, what was I trying to do? I was trying to master the Bible. I've never met anybody who has the ability to master the Bible. Who would willingly stand up and say, I have mastered the mind of God. Adam tried it. Okay? My self-discipline is what is good for the gospel, what is good for others? Why oh, I have a sober mind. My mind is guarded. My mind is self-disciplined. Okay? Some of you exercise. Some of you need to. Okay? It takes self-discipline to do that. How much more self-discipline does it take to guard my mind? Think about it. How hard it is to guard our minds. With that, I want to move into the... Freedom of limits. And I have an interesting text that I would like to step into. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 29 and 30. We're just going to start here and we're going to do some cruising, all right? 
29 and 30. This is interesting because in light of Christ's freedom, the freedom that is in Christ, in light of the fact that I have the freedom of an heir of sonship, I have the freedom to choose, I have freedom of self-discipline as I gird my mind with the things of God. This is an interesting text. And I thought, this is wonderful. We'll deal with this one. All right? We've all read this. We've all heard this before. Some of you remember back in eternity past when we studied the Gospel of Matthew. Look what he says. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out. Yay. Huh? How about that? If you've got one of them red letter Bibles, you'll see this is Jesus speaking. And throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than the whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off, throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body go into hell. Now listen, I've heard some bizarre stuff taught on this, and I'm going to give you this one as quickly as I can. There's nothing wrong with your right eye or your right hand. Okay? Uh, the the pre- predominant thing here is the right is the side of influence. The right is the side of power. If the right hand of God is who? Christ. Why? That is the, that's the, the place of prominence. Most people are right-handed. Correct? And that's sort of where you get that mentality. But it's, it's the right hand. And what he's saying here, God has made them both. He made the right eye and the left. And he made the, the hands. He made the human body. And if you think about it, he did a really good job. Didn't he? Um, when you think about the capacity that your eye has, okay? And yet, have you ever looked in people's eyes? The eye is, a, is, is, is I, I think it's pretty. I mean, it's just amazing to me. You get that little color thing around there and then a the little line and the little weird things that I'm into. But, you know, it's just, I look at the human eye and say, man, that thing's kind of cool. And, you, you know, don't get into the icky, you, 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 I looked in her eyes and did. That ain't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the human eye. Because as I look into another person's eyes, I am cherishing the fact that I have that ability. See, God gave you eyes so that you could do what? You could embrace beauty. You can look at it. And there's nothing wrong with that. He gave you a hand so you can touch, so you can be touched. And there is great beauty in that. It's a wonder of wonders. It is a blessing from God. Let me ask you a question. It brings pleasure. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? I made the statement last week I like to hug. Part of hugging is using your hands and arms. It's kind of a weird thing. But uh, there is pleasure in that. There is pleasure from the person who does the hug. It is pleasure for the person who receives the hug. You know what? There is also pleasure from beauty that your eye gives. There's the pleasure of of seeing things. Some of you may like oceans and beaches and and deserts, uh, mountains and and the clouds and the stars. Um, You know, I I take, I just love creation. Um, 
But if it causes your whole body to be tempted instead of blessed, shouldn't I put some limits on my freedom? That's the text. That's the text. Jesus is teaching the same thing Paul is. Everything is good. It's all permissible. Sure. But if it causes me to stumble, if it causes me to fall into sin, if it causes me to fall into slavery again, isn't it better to separate? It is better to live with the limit on my freedom and enjoyment. It is a voluntary limit by Christians. Okay? You know, let me show you another text that that deals with this freedom that we're looking at in 12. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 7 through 13. 7 through 13. I'll deal with this in depth in a few years, but um, we'll, we'll touch it here. And he makes a statement in chapter, chapter 8, verse 7. However, not all men have this knowledge. What knowledge? Okay. Um, all things uh, from whom all things but one God, Father, from whom all things we exist for him and one God and one Lord Jesus Christ by whom are all things and we exist through him. And he's basically talking about creation. And he says, it's all ours. It's already there. It's, it's there for our, our pleasure. All right. And he says, not all men have this knowledge. Some, being accustomed to an idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their consciences are being weak, is defiled. You know what that means? They become dirty. Why? The, the context is, is that normal, if you wanted to get a, a good burger, or a good fried uh, steak sandwich or something to that effect, you had to go to a temple to get it because that's, uh, they would offer the sacrifice. The priest would take their part. They would cook the rest or salt the rest, and it would hang there. So these were being offered to idols, to demons. And, and people were coming to Christ, and they were saying, well, if that thing has been offered to a demon, then guess what indwells that food? A demon. And if I eat that food, what happens? Heartburn. Okay? Well, he just said here, that's not true. Why? Who made it? God did. Who made the food? God did. All right? So give thanks and eat. But there are some who are weak. Okay? Um, Alcohol. Okay? Tobacco. All right? There are some people who come out of a habit a lifestyle of habitual sin with alcohol, okay? And meaning that they were willingly over and over and over again wanted to have their uh, conscience altered, okay? If they were to see a Christian drinking a glass of wine, what would happen to them? It'd bother them, wouldn't it? It it, It would be offensive to them, okay? Why? Because... Because why? Because I know what that did to me. All right. In Russia, they teach um, that smoking is a sin. Cigarette smoke is a sin. And the reason is they have a very high rate, uh, astronomically high rate 
uh, of lung cancer from smoking. Okay, I cannot find in scriptures where it says if you take a tobacco leaf and roll it up and light it and inhale the smoke, that that's a sin. Okay, but if you went over there to teach and you had a pack of camels with you, what would you be doing? You're offending them. You would cause a weaker brother to stumble. Okay, and I, you know, I'm not going to get into it. Uh, I'll deal with it as I in this next text of, of chapter six. But I, it's not going to master me, Paul says. All right, Romans two. Remember, twelve two said, "I'm going to think soberly. I'm going to renew my mind." Why? And here, think about this. I shared uh, twice in my life as a pastor had marital counseling. They don't usually come back. We're kind of weird. Uh, but I told this one couple one time that I can tell you exactly how to never, ever have a disagreement or a fight ever, ever again. Really? Yeah. It's very simple. I do nothing out of vain conceit or selfish ambition, but in all humility consider others more important than myself. You'll never have a disagreement with anybody. Why? Everyone else is more important than myself. The problem is trying to do that. But, um, you know, if I'm dead to self, how many times do you make a decision and ask this question? Will God be glorified in this decision? How many times do you take that question to the next level and say, will I cause a weaker brother or sister to stumble in this decision? See what I mean? I looked at a Corvette Friday, and you guys convicted me, and I didn't get it. <laughs> Just kidding. Come on, line up. Jesus. Okay? I have a freedom in Christ that Christ says, I don't even have to pay the two drachma tax to preach in the synagogue, but to keep from being an offense to you, I shall pay the tax. I mean, this is the very, this is the gathering of people that they gather to hear from him. And he says, but I'll pay the tax. There's a freedom of limit. The Apostle Paul in chapter 9 says, am I not free? See, Paul understood his freedom. He says, am I not free? He says, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? That's about as solid an argument as you're going to get. And then he defends himself for not taking any money from them. And yet he had a right to be paid. But if you look at Paul's ministry in the Greek culture, he never did take money from the churches. I mean, he did to take it to Jerusalem, but for he always was the bivocational tent maker, a, a sower of leathers. Okay. He says, I can exercise my freedom, but I am limiting it so as not to cause a believer to stumble, as not to cause an unbeliever to stumble, nor to do anything to hurt the cause of Christ. When you're choosing what to do, are you willing in your freedom to place limits on the behalf of others? We already looked at uh, the text just before this in the first part of chapter 6 where he was talking about lawsuits. You guys are suing each other. Why? Well, 
people had wrongly done me wrong. They had cheated me out of money. And here's what he says. This is already a defeat for you to sue one another. Why? Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? What? But they, you don't understand. What about the cause of Christ? How would the world solve something like that? They would sue. And yet Paul says, is not Christ on the throne? Does he not judge? Does he not see your pain? Does he not see your suffering? Do you think that he's going to let this go? That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. See, some make decisions this day and age that I believe make it uh, easier to not believe in Christ. I look at the church today, especially here in America, especially here on the front range, and what I see is business strategies driving the church. Motives are good. We want the kingdom to flourish. But Jesus said, I shall build my church. And I, the question I have to ask church leaders are, you believe that? And it seems like he was pretty efficient with how he got it done. Why would he need marketing strategies? I, I thought he had it figured out. See, the difference is, is that saved people should be radically different than the lost. Whatever the world says is good, we should be probably 180 degrees out of it. Why? Because we are holy people. There was another text that I looked at last week but bringing, bringing on limits because I want us to think about this because we do have the freedom of a child. We are a sonship. We have freedom to choose. We are self-disciplined. Okay, But these limit things, and, and he made this comment. I talked about this last week. I'll just briefly touch on it. You don't have to go there. Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, verse 25. He said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you. But the young, who is the greatest among you, must become the youngest. But the one who is the greatest among you must become the youngest. And the leader, like the servant. For who is greater? The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. That's amazing. We struggle with that. What do you mean serves? Okay? Because what he says is that the Gentiles have kings. And those who are under the king's authority look at him as the benefactor, right? And we are the beneficiary. If uh, I, I used this illustration last week in my life insurance policy uh, or beneficiaries for retirement plans and things like that. My wife is the beneficiary. I would be the benefactor. She would look to me. <laughs> she'd look to my death to be her benefit. I didn't like the way that sounded at all. <laughs> but a benefactor is someone who gives to you. Let me explain something to you. Our government has gone this direction. Why? We mandate from our government what? Everything. And you know what's so scary about it? They joyously give it. And then what happens? We become dependent. And then what happens? Who are you a slave to? And yet, if I am a servant, 
don't have to worry about it. All right, who? I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. My God reigns. He rules my life. Am I willing to do that? Am I willing to have that? We demand more and more from our government, and we become more dependent. They become more of the benefactors. But I want to take it to you and be specific. What is your benefactor this day? Okay? I have a benefactor. Absolutely have a benefactor. But what is your benefactor? Is it your job? Is it your spouse? Is it your education? What is it? What masters you? What are you enslaved to? Back to our text, 612, he says, you know what? All things are lawful. Expedient. King James. He says, but not all things are profitable. Not all things... um, are going to be good for me. Let me ask you a question. Are you on alert regarding pleasure? How many in this room this day are paying attention and have their warning signals up regarding pleasure? Have you ever thought about that? What do we do for pleasure? Name it. We'll do it. And does that pleasure master me? I've seen people who can do it uh, with sports. I've seen people who can do it with um, houses and cars. I've seen people who can do it with hobbies. Does it master me? Does it become the primary thing? Is it profitable for me? Is this good for me? Then when you go through that process, I ask you this. Is it good for others? Is it good for the glory of God? Is it habit forming? I've seen uh, men and women in the, the dating process. Okay, interesting. Interesting thing to watch. Um my children, I have explained to them biblically, dating ain't in there. The only thing I can find is dad chooses. Right now I'm busy. I'm not looking. I'll let you know when I find one. What's biblical? You know, anyway. But if you watch the dating process, um, it becomes... Habit forming. It becomes this thing. You just start thinking. It's this little thought. Oh, golly, she's just so cute. And, huh. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you know, she's got pretty eyes and she's oh, and her hair. And, and, and Jesus said, yo, what about me? Right? I remember a guy one time, one of the meanest people I ever knew in my life. Okay, nasty. He came out of a, oh, should I say this? Yeah. He came out, this is before Christ, all right? I'll give you a qualifier. He came out of a bar uh, one night, uh, and two guys jumped him uh, with a ball bat and cracked his skull. Okay? And he took the bat away from both of them and liked to kill them both. Okay? Uh, Daryl was his name. Big, nasty human being. 
He's my friend uh, because you want them. But, I mean, literally he disarmed two guys with a bat and used the bat on them. Okay? And he met Lori. <laughs> oh, I'm so thankful Daryl's on the other side of the Mississippi. Um, um, you got to understand what happened. He became enslaved. I guess if bars and baseball bat fights, probably enslaving to a woman isn't that big a deal. But, um, but I watched him literally turn into nothing. Literally turn into nothing. I've seen it go both ways, men and women. Uh, I see uh, uh, we do it uh, with uh, television, with sound systems. Uh, I hear that they're going to make all of our TVs. We're going to have to have some kind of high-definition television or something, and all of, your, all of our old TVs won't work anymore. And I'm thinking, that might be a good idea. Right? Uh, out where I live, uh, if you don't have, well, you can't get cable anymore. You either got to get one of them little bitty satellite dishes, or if I have an antenna, I can get one station out of Colorado Springs and one station out of Denver. Uh, neither one of them I care for. So I have a little satellite dish, and that would probably save me 30 bucks a month. Uh, you know, because, well, my TV don't pick up your signal or whatever. But look what masters, what enslaves us? Our spouses can enslave us. Our children can enslave us. Our homes can enslave us. Our hobbies can enslave us. They become habit-forming. We have freedom, but we limit that freedom. Do I have my mind sober? Spirosodiotis calls it, is my mind saved? Because a saved mind is a sober mind, is a self-disciplined mind. And I think about this because I want you to think about it. Does anybody here just quit thinking? My son. <laughs> I'm still waiting for him to start. Um, I'm thinking it's going to be really cool when it happens. But don't you always have something going through your mind? A process of things? You know, I'm dealing with this or possibly this. I find myself at times wrestling with three or four texts of Scripture. At times I teach different books at different times, different situations. And, and every once in a while they, I have a little train wreck in my brain and they all kind of, I don't think that makes sense anymore. And he says, you didn't get it. And I say, all right. All right but, but we're always thinking. Okay, I mean, it may be, but have you ever asked yourself, what is the primary focus of your thinking processes? Your conscience, okay? That thing that you don't share with your spouse or your kids, that thing that you're, you're in there mulling it around. Um, you know, uh, when we think about getting ready to buy a car, I'm going to buy a car and say I got a gazillion miles on my old car and I'm probably going to need another car, and so I'm going to go get another. How much time do you put into that thinking process? How much time do you, do you dwell on that? What is the focus of what we do? When you go to work, what is the focus of what you are doing? How aware are you of what Christ is doing in your thinking process? How many times do you shut Christ out of your thinking process? Ask yourself this. What is it right now? Well, this isn't fair. At 3 o'clock, what would be the longing of your thinking process? What would you be longing for? What would you be thinking? What would you be pondering? Okay? A sober mind, a saved mind, I know what it's thinking. I know what it's pondering. What are we pursuing? 
Because see, what happens is, is that if you see James teaches that lust gives birth to sin and sin bears the fruit of death. Lust is the thinking process. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. Uh, I I have dealt in the past with uh, several situations of adultery. And one of the things that I find about in adultery, it isn't an accident. It wasn't one morning, oh, wow, how did that happen? Okay, how did it happen? There was a process. There was a thinking about it. There became a a longing for it. We anticipated it. We tantalized ourselves. We pressed on with it. We pursued it and we committed it. If I have a self-disciplined mind in the freedom of Christ, guess what? I guard that. It's locked away. I don't allow it. Are we aware of what is going on? Are we aware of the things that we dwell on, that we pursue, that are priorities in our thinking process? Will they cause harm to anybody? What about harm to the cause of Christ? See, Paul, one of the things that I have learned and I'm going to try to articulate this, and I'm, I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to. I made a little note here. It says, uh, Paul holds his liberty, his freedom, as a cherished possession. Okay, that was my little note. Okay. I have learned in my studies of the, my brother Paul that the freedom that I have is a very cherished possession to me. It means, I I don't have, I can't explain it, what it means to me. I don't have words to explain my freedom in Christ. And yet, my brother Paul boasts of being a bondservant of Jesus Christ. You ever thought about that? This is a man who was a legalist to the hilt. This is a man who knew scriptures frontward, backwards, inside out. He also knew the Talmud, which is the 663 laws that they added to it in case you couldn't figure out what the Ten Commandments were. He knew them. He says, when it comes to my contemporary and and the zeal of the law, I am second to nobody. He says, I know this. And he understood on that Damascus road. He was there for God. And then God showed himself. And when God showed himself, he said, "Uh uh-oh. And he left from the Damascus road a blind man on the path of Christ's freedom. And he understood that freedom. I am not in bondage to any man, he says. He would never be in bondage to another master. Why would I allow my freedom to surpass limits that put me in jeopardy of being in bondage to another master? And how many of us do that? See, Christ died to make us free from sin. Do you understand that? Do we grasp that? You have inherent sin. That means it's in your gene pool. Okay? You have declared sin. 
You know what that means? God said, you are a sinner away from me. That's declared sin. In the court of God, guilty. And you have self-will sin that you just do it because it was there. That is you. That is our nature. That is who we are. That is how we are. That is what we do. And that is your master before Christ. And after Christ, I have been freed from all of that. I have a new nature. I no longer inherit the seed of Adam. In Christ's court, I stand innocent. Not only that, my will has been taken captive unto the things of God. I am no longer a slave to Jesus Christ, but I am a friend. Okay? I am freed from sin. I am not free to sin. Okay? That's the limits that we have. Let us not be brought into bondage by any mere pleasure or habit. Do you not know how important you are to Him? Why would I allow just a passing gratitude to take control of me? And yet some of you this day are doing that. Let me show you point six, the freedom of who's watching. Okay, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Okay, verse 23. We've looked at this, but I want to hit it again. Okay, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, and I want to stop right there. Look what it says. They will not edify. They will not edify. This is as safe a guide as you're going to get. Okay, in understanding what your freedom in Christ is. Every single person in this room right now has a different measure of faith at this point in their life where certain things uh, would bother them uh, in a few years it won't bother you. Okay, because you'll be more Christ-like. Okay, permissible and profitable. Okay, but then he uses a word there. Edify is the New American Standard. Okay. When I am exercising my spiritual freedom, okay, I am free in Christ. Okay? Ask yourself a question when you're exercising your choices, your abilities. Is it strengthening? Is it building? Listen, I'm gonna, there's a question I want you guys to think about. Here's a question that we ask. I have young people have asked me this. Not very many. Okay? But they ask me this. Uh, they, they, they get them a sweetie. Okay? Boy, girl. They get them a sweetie. And here's the question that is always pro, uh, proposed that, that you hear. It, it, they, they like to be a little sneakier about it, but they come around the corner and try it. And anyway. How far... Can I go? What's safe? Now think about it. How many of you have asked yourself that same question? Okay, maybe no, I'm not cheating on your spouses and things like that. <laughs> okay, I'm talking about when you're getting ready to make a decision, you're asking yourself, how far can I go? Okay? That's not the question. That's not the question that should, we should ask in any decision that you make. Okay. See, the question can come out of this framework. It's not whether there's any harm in this. 
Okay, see, I see people, is there any harm in this? All right? You, you, you guys with me? Some of you look like, all right? And when I'm getting ready to make a decision, how many times do I get ready to make the decision? I says, is there any harm in me doing this? Okay, uh, a few messages ago, I talked about Cuban cigars and Corvettes. Okay, and that's amazing that that's the only thing that some of you got out of that message. But, all right, when it comes to Cuban, Cuban cigars and Corvettes, I do not ask, is there any harm in Cuban cigars or Corvettes? Ask this question. Is there any good in it? Is there any good in it? Remember in chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, he says, You are all building with what? Precious stone, gold, or silver, right? Some wood, hay, stubble, right? Got it? Right? Some of you, all right? What he's saying is every saint of God is building, right? Ask yourself a question. What are you building with? Because, see, the fire is going to come, and if you built with wood, hay, stubble, what happens? You get ashes. Okay? But he doesn't say you lose your salvation. It's just everything you did was to what profit? What good was it? If I build with gold, silver, and precious stone, and the fire comes... What good is that? And I always look at it from the eternal side. Does it help build up? Does it help strengthen? You guys may want to use the word character or whatever. Uh, When I look at stuff, I say, will I be better for it? You know, when I counsel with people, people who come to me with heartache and sorrow and trials and tribulations, I always pray before that person shows up on what are you going to show me, Lord? Why? So that I may be strengthened. Will I be strengthened in this? Then the next thing I shall ask, will others be strengthened in this? Okay? And then I always keep it right back here and I ask myself, this doesn't have the ability to enslave me, does it? Because I view my freedom as something very dear and precious to myself. Did you understand that man is the crown of God's creation? Did you know that? Do you know why God created us besides the fellowship of Him? We were kings. He created a whole race of kings. That's what we were supposed to do. He says, see all of creation, what are you supposed to do with it? Take rain over it. Rule the fish of the air. No, the fish of the air. Fish of the seas, the bird of the air. If you've got a fish in the air, you've got a different kingdom than mine. All right? We are his crown. Let me ask you something. Should you be served by things that edify? Or things that make you slaves? Let's be honest with it. It's safe to say that we are highly prized by God. Would we injure or be injured by a passing gratification? How high was the cost for you? There's a word that we looked at uh, in our study of Romans. Redemption. 
We throw that around. We like it. We sing songs about redemption. Do you understand that that is the price that is paid in the slave market? That's what the word means. God went to the slave market and says, I want that one. How much? You die for that one. Think about it. Go down your line right now. Don't look at it as the pastor. Don't look at it as another Christian. Elizabeth, do you know he went to the slave market and bought you? Matt, he went to the slave market and said, I want that one. Here's my blood paid in full. Why would I sell myself back under something when he spent his blood to remove me from the hands of the slave traders? Why? That freaks me out. He bought me. Why would I ever, for something temporal, for something as an instant gratification, want to be enslaved to anything? Why? He came and sought me at the auction block. I didn't go, who? Me? Me? He came to the slave trader of sin and said, I want that one. And he says, and by me buying you, I shall set you free. Why would I be a slave? Christ came to earth and he became like us in order that we would be like him. Here's my verse that uh, brings me through my clouds. I know some of you don't have clouds, but if you ever get into a cloud, try this one. This one's a dandy. This one here is fire in my bones. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. We're being transformed into Jesus Christ. We will look as he looked. And guess what? You are in life right now. Grasp this and hold this. You are all at different places in your life. And your life provides the opportunity to grow to be like Christ. That is all your life is for. It has no ability. You can't take your 401k. It doesn't matter your house. It doesn't matter how many car garage you have, whether you've got tile, whether you've got carpet, whether you've got wood, whether you've got stucco. It's irrelevant. You are growing into the image of Christ through the power of the Spirit. You are being transformed before my very eyes. That is life. That is life in its fullness. That is life abundant. That is life that has been poured out by the riches of heaven into the people of God. Who's watching? Everybody. Everybody. I've had several men who are in a leadership class. I've taken a couple of other guys through leadership classes to become elders. And one of the texts that you have to look at is to become a leader in the church, the body of Christ, is that is your spiritual growth evident to all? Let me tell you something. Spiritual growth has nothing to do with memorizing Scripture. Spiritual growth is, growth is 2 Corinthians three, eighteen. That person is being transformed. Do you know what? I am 
been given life as an opportunity to grow like Christ. Why? Because I'm preparing for something. Did you know that? I am preparing for the place that Jesus went ahead of me to get ready for me. As I grew up, one of those terms would be, I am getting duded up for the big dance. I'm in that process now. Not that I've arrived. Listen, do you understand, saints of God, that life isn't this narrow, joyless thing that we all go around like this? I'm a follower of Jesus. That ain't life. I look at Christians right now. Your book hit the nail on the head, that one where it says, we get up in the morning, we fix us a bowl of cereal, we fix us a thing of coffee, we go down the highway, we go to a job, we trudge through the jobs all day, we come home, we have dinner, we go to bed, and we say, I have abundant life in Christ. Well, sign me up for that thing. Well, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Act like it. Good gosh! We should be walking around without our legs moving. Just hovering. I am a child of he who holds existence in the spread of his hands. I have given you everything that you will ever need for life and godliness. Christ's life is full, it is abundant, it is real, it is lasting, it is eternal, and it is all joyous. All joyous. Accepting the things as if they were from God who gives to all liberally. Co-workers. Who's watching? Who's watching? The guy in rush hour traffic? Your Listen, parents, I'm going to start with you first. Your kids are a direct reflection of your spiritual condition or lack of. You can do all you want. You can do all you want. But what you live, what is preeminent in your life, your kids will follow. People ask me, well, do you have your devotion times with your kids and your quiet? No. Do you have organized Bibles? No. No. Don't. Why? I ain't got time. All right? But you know what my kids see? They see dad in the book. They see dad on his knees. They see dad weeping for the saints. They see dad wrestling with principalities and powers on behalf of the brothers and sisters in Christ. And they see that and they say, you know what? I don't have him to teach. He doesn't have to have a Bible study for me. Why? He is a student of the word. I will follow. That is what I meant last week when I talked about the balance of your life. You can't balance your life. You flow. I'm flowing through my life. From follow me. Jesus doesn't say balance your life. He says what? Follow me. Forsake it all. Follow me. Who's watching? Your kids. Husbands. You will stand before the throne of Christ and give an account of how you led your family spiritually. It's not optional. It's not optional. Men are ordained by God as the spiritual leader. And he will stand, every man will stand and say, how did you lead your family in Christ? And you'll give an account. It is seen. Your wife will see it. It's great to be pious. Have you ever said, you've heard the illustrations before. And you may have been part of the illustrations where the husband and wife are just at each other. We're getting up at church. Get up, get up, get out of the shower. I can't believe you're taking so long. Get your hair done. What's the matter with you? Come on. Oh, Jesus, I love you. 
What are your kids doing? What is your wife doing? Wow, that's a cranky. Isn't it? Why? Who's watching? You have freedom in Christ. Yeah, you can yell at them. It works well. How about coworkers? How about friends? How about friends? I, I sat around friends before and I said, you know what? You're always so talkative and everything. You're in Bible studies and stuff like that. He says, when you're here, you're quiet. Well, you're just talking about football. So what? Uh, yeah, that's great. Hallelujah. What's the point of it? Uh, I, I grew up hunting and fishing. I love hunting and fishing. I don't have any problem with that. I don't, I'm not against that. I'm not going to sit around and talk about it all day. Why? I've done it. You aim, you pull the trigger, boom, thing falls down. You got to clean it and you got to drag it out and work your tail off and think, gosh, I'm doing this for fun. And I'm not against that. That's not what I'm saying. But let me tell you something. If that is your joy in life, what happens when that's gone? I want to close with this text. Book of Psalms. Uh, chapter 16, just verse 11. Chapter 16, verse 11. Okay, what we've looked at is that we have freedom in Christ. He has come to set the captives free. I have no longer a slave to sin. Uh, I am a slave to righteousness. Okay? We also look that we have sonship. He will take us and do what? He says, I will instill my word into you, and you will know what your master wants. And that way, if you know what your master wants, you are no longer a slave to that master, but you are a friend to that master. And doing that, I have the freedom to choose. I can't choose the consequences of my choices, but I do get the freedom to choose, and I would do that based on point four, a self-disciplined mind. Okay, self-disciplined mind would lead me into freedoms of limits because I will limit myself on that that is best for my King and my Lord and my Savior. Okay, in that I will also find the freedom of who's watching. Who's watching? Who's paying attention? And I will tell you this, everyone is. Okay, as we walk from this place, I will ask you to think about this verse. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy and in your right hand there are pleasures forever got it why would you choose to put yourself under a yoke of slavery when verse 11 is talking to you Why would I shortchange myself? In his presence is the fullness of joy, and in his right hand there is pleasures forever. Have you ever been in a sad time in your life, a grievous time in your life? Have you ever felt like uh, everything is coming apart at the seams? Have you ever felt like that it just doesn't make sense, I'm confused and I don't understand what is happening? Have you ever been in a place where you felt like he had left you? But it just says right there. And his presence is what? Fullness of joy. Some of my darkest times of my life have been some of my greatest times of joy. Because see, in his presence, that joy can't be removed. I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness is based on happening. Something's happening and I'm happy about it. 
Okay, I'm talking about joy. I'm talking about a deep indwelt confidence. All authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me, and lo, I am with you always. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In that is joy. I don't care how bleak it is, I don't care what desert you're sitting in, I don't care where you're at in your life. Why? Because in his right hand, pleasures forever. Pleasures forever. His right hand. And you know what? As a child of the king, in my freedom, they're all mine right now. Right now, I'm not waiting. I'm not going to glory to do this. It's right now. Why? I'm being transformed from glory to glory by the power of the Spirit. Right now, brothers and sisters, right now. That just makes it hard for me to stay in my shoes. It does. I mean, it, I've had a, this has been a tough week. I don't know. Did anybody else have a bad week this week? Matt did. Matt just lives in bad week. Okay. I had one of the most heart-wrenching weeks of my life. Well, I'm not going to say that because next week's coming. Um, to date, it was, it was a toughie. It was, I was dealing with stuff that I knew, I knew that I was uh, against an enemy. I knew that I was dealing with this flesh and people and, and things like that. And yet the whole time I had this little smile going on inside thinking, ah, this is cool. Of course, one was a domestic thing, and I thought, maybe I get shot and I'll go to heaven. But uh, <laughs> just kidding. Come on, lighten up, everybody. All right, but it's stuff like that. Do you understand that? In his presence. Listen, and when you lose that joy, okay, and I'm talking about that deep thing, that regardless of what's happening, man, you know what? I am still a child of the king. When you lose that, who moved? Who moved? Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise for your word and freedom that you've given us in Christ. Lord, you are doing amazing more than I could have ever dreamed. Father, I thank you for what you've done, done to me. Thank you for what you're doing to me. And Father, with great anticipation, I long for what you will finish in me. But Father, on behalf of these precious souls this day, I lift them before you. That Father, they can look back only to see your faithfulness. Father, they would look now and see your freedom. And Father, all these precious saints would look forward at the amazing, abundant reality of being your child. Father, there's a lot going on in just this small group. Father, I pray that your peace, which you have already given us, would be reestablished in your saints and their souls. That, Father, that their faith would be established and confident in the teleos, that it is finished. And that, Father, that we would look at life only in the purpose of being conformed into the image of Christ. And, Father, as your light shines brighter and brighter through your saints, may we draw many more into your kingdom bearing much fruit. Lord, I know this is what Jesus wants. And I beg that you accomplish it through each of us. In Christ, amen.